Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you will hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. We have been in a series, I think this is the fourth message in our series, and we've called it Socially Socially Awkward. And I've been saying in this series, everybody is awkward. It's just the reality. I know you try to always show the awesome parts of you, but the reality is you are awkward. And we even defined awkward moments, awkward moments and being awkward. It's that, it's that space between the ideal you and the real you. That space in between is awkward. But come on, as believers, we're supposed to be awkward. It's supposed to be something different about you. I am scared of you if you always go with the flow. I'm scared of you if you always fit in. There ought to be something different or awkward about your life. So that's been our series, and all those messages are on YouTube. Like, share, and subscribe. But this is (laughs) the fourth installment of it. And I want to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 7. Luke, chapter 7. I want to look at verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, Uncle Luke uh, chapter 7. Uh, if you laughed, you ain't saved. <laughs> verse 36. And we'll go down to verse number 50. When you're ready to read it, say yes. If you're trying to find it, say hold on. If you got a paper Bible, say hallelujah. That's for the real spiritual people. Come on said, I don't scroll, I turn the page. It's powerful. Luke chapter 7, we'll start at verse number 36. I love this story. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. By the way, when I read the Bible, every Pharisee has a British accent. I'm sorry, no offense (laughs) to my British brothers and sisters, but that's just what I hear when I read it. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man? that he goes around forgiving sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you say amen? Come on, y'all. That is a good, that's good all by itself. You almost want to read that and say, let's go to the house. It's good, good stuff. It is good. It's also awkward. It's awful awkward. We have a lady in the middle of a steak dinner kissing Jesus' feet. This is awkward. This is awkward. And I want to use a very short title today, and I feel like preaching. I should just give you that little warning today. I want to preach today using this as a title, RSVP. RSVP. Do me a favor. Look at whichever neighbor you like the best and say, neighbor, oh, neighbor, don't forget to RSVP. Look at that same neighbor and say, I didn't even invite you. So what you say? <laughs> Come on, let's pray before we go into this word. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your presence. Speak to our hearts. Speak to every single person in this room watching online, even to the person that's going to watch this later on YouTube. Father, speak so clearly and let us leave different than the way that we came in. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. R-S-V-P. Must be honest, when I decided to title this message RSVP, my mind immediately went to a wedding invoice that went viral last year. And this wedding invoice went viral because it did not come from a wedding coordinator or from a floral boutique. It didn't even come from a catering company. But this wedding invoice actually came from the couple who got married. They're from Chicago, but got married in Jamaica and sent out an invoice to the people who RSVP'd for their destination wedding, but then didn't show up. And it was all over the internet, and I got the picture of the invoice, and I want to read it because it makes me laugh. It says, note, this invoice is being sent to you because you confirmed seats at the wedding reception during the final headcount. The amount above is the cost of your individual seats. Because you did not call or give us proper notice that you wouldn't be in attendance, this amount is what you owe us for paying for your seats in advance. You can pay via Zelle or PayPal. Please reach out to us and let us know which method of payment works for you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's some gangster stuff right there. And it caused such an interesting discussion and diatribe of conversations around it. People were talking about it. And the couple admitted that they never actually sent the invoice to those people who didn't show up. But they did post it on their Facebook just to be petty. And everybody was talking about it and relating to the frustration 
of sending an invitation, paying for a meal, only to have the person that RSVP'd not show up. Have you ever experienced that before? Wave at me. Woo! Have you ever done it? Don't wave at me. Don't wave at me because it, it's frustrating. I don't, I don't know what's worse, to be honest. I don't know what's worse. Somebody who RSVPs and then doesn't show up. Somebody who shows up and wasn't even invited. Or somebody that shows up RSVP but then comes with a plus one that you don't even mess with. I don't know what's worse. But it is frustrating. It's frustrating to be on a budget to make plans to count the cost only to have somebody RSVP and not show up. And if you are that person, you need to know you are rude. Get your etiquette together. The least you could do is just RSVP and then have some R-E-S-P-E-C-T and respect the host and let them know. Don't ghost the host. Just call them and tell them you can't come. Now, when you call them, make sure it's a legitimate excuse. Oh, yeah, don't be like that person. You just didn't show up, and then I see you out in the streets, and I pay for it, and you didn't tell me anything. It better be, I'm talking about an emergency. You better call me and say, hey, I can't make it. I got in a car wreck. I'm in a full body cast. That's why I can't show up. Or you better call me and say something like, I'm so sorry. I got COVID, and one of my kids got bit by a cobra. I had to suck the venom out. Now me and my kid got COVID and venom in our veins. It better be something real serious. Because you RSVP. And do you even know what RSVP stands for? RSVP is actually an abbreviation for a French word. It is respondez s'il vous plaît. The French don't even use that phrase anymore, but it's a phrase that simply means please respond. Please reply because I sent you an invitation. I was thinking about this text and thinking about invitations because it's something powerful about an invitation. Something intriguing just about the simplicity of an invitation. My man, can I give you this, Jay Klein? I want to give you this invitation. And, and it seems so simple. It seems so simple that I would just give him this invitation, but it is not simple because you understand that the moment I hand you that invitation, you now have a responsibility. You are account accountable now that I have invited you. Don't tell me you didn't get it. Because everybody saw it. I've given you an invitation, and now that invitation makes you accountable to give me some type of response. You better tell me something. You can just hold on to that. I demand a response because I've given you an invitation. While we're here, and I didn't say it in the first service, I'll say it in this service. That's why I'm not the biggest fan of text messages. I'm not. I know they're convenient and some stuff, but just, just the fact that you just text me at 3 o'clock in the morning and now I got to respond to your text, it just is frustrating to me because my focus is very serious to me and sometimes I'm trying to study a text and then I get a text and now I'm looking at your text and now I can't preach the text I'm supposed to preach on because of your text and it messes up my focus and sometimes it just intrudes and I thought I responded in my head but I didn't, but the moment you send it, I now have to give a response. That's what an invitation is. I know it seems cool to be invitational, but when I am invitational, it now makes you responsible to give me a response. I say that because, ladies and gentlemen, one of the beautiful things about the gospel, one of the beautiful things about our Savior is that he is invitational. Ooh, your God is so invitational. You cannot read the Gospels. You cannot look at the ministry of Jesus and not see the beauty of the fact that he is invitational, that he is inclusive with his invitation. Who else but our God says, all can come to me. 
no matter who you are. This is the power of the gospel, that your God is invitational. In Luke chapter 14, one of the pictures that we get of the kingdom of God is this picture of a banquet that has already been prepared in advance, and your God sends out an invitation to everybody. Isn't that a beautiful thing that your God says anybody could come? I didn't expect to get a lot of amens right there. But if you think about it, that is powerful, that your God is so inclusive in his invitation that he says, all can come to me. Anybody can come to me. You black, you can come to me. You white, you can come to me. You Latino, you can come to me. You Asian, you can come to me. You Haitian, you can come to me. You Nigerian, you can come to me. Anybody can come to me. You tall, you can come to me. You're short, you can come to me. You're conservative, you can come to me. If you're liberal, you can come to me. If you're a baby boomer, you can come to me. If you're Gen Z, you can come to me. No matter who you are, you can come to me. To him. If you're heterosexual, you can come to him. If you're homosexual, you can come to him. If you're addicted, you can come to him. If you're broken, you can come. No matter who you are, you can come. Now, let me explain why I got those eight golf claps. The reason I got those golf claps is because the church is saying the same thing that Jesus is declaring, but the reality is we say it, but whenever those people actually do come, We don't really mean it, but the beauty of our Savior is when he says, all can come to me, he's not just saying it because it's a cute slogan. He really means that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, this God says, come to me. My door is open. All can come. Oh, God, give us a church that truly reflects the nature and the character of Jesus Christ, where people can actually come in no matter what they're facing, where people can belong before they ever believe what we believe. But it's funny how the church tries to say it, but you'd be shocked when those people actually come and they can feel they're not welcome. They can feel it in your facial expression. They can feel it in your little, huh, did you really wear that to church today? <laughs> okay. They can feel it. But the beauty of our Savior is he says, anybody can come. He's invitational. In fact, look at it. If you need a scripture for it, look at it in Matthew chapter 11. This is the beautiful picture of invitation. He says, come to me. All. All. It's so crazy. I looked up the word all in the Greek. Guess what it means? All. All, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the power of the gospel that your God is invitational. All can come to him. Here's the problem. We shout. We shout about our God being invitational because that sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound beautiful? Ooh, all can come. The problem with him being invitational, or should I say maybe the burden of him being invitational, is that because he is invitational, it does make you responsible. Yeah. See, come to me is your decision, but follow me is discipleship. Yeah. See... It starts with come to me, but it doesn't end with come to me. See, we love to shout, yeah, see, I can come as just as I am. Yeah, I was in a club last night, but I can come. It's fine. You can. Come to me is invitational, but follow me 
is discipleship. Follow me. Ooh, means that some things you're going to have to lay down. Follow means some things I used to do, I can't do no more. Some places I used to go, I can't go no more. Some jokes I used to laugh at, I don't laugh at anymore. Follow me means you got to pick up your cross, not your couch, and follow him. Follow me means your flesh has to die. It means some ideologies and even some opinions that I once held so dear to my heart now have to be laid down. That's why, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to take my time today. That's why Jesus did gangster stuff in the Bible. Yes, he said, come to me. I mean, that, I mean who wouldn't want to come? Especially when you're handing out free fish and bread. Come on now. Everybody likes to eat for free, a buffet for free. Did you notice what he did right after he did that incredible miracle? Not long after that, he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. He was speaking metaphorically, but didn't even break it down to explain it because he wanted them to go, uh, well, cannibalism? Uh-uh, I'm out, fam. I don't do that. And they left him that day. He says many left because he was trying to separate those who just were coming and those who actually wanted to follow. It will cost you something to follow. Ooh, I'm telling you, you know what following has cost me, especially when you're a pastor, because people think because you're a pastor like you ain't a human. You know how many times I wanted to reply the way I wanted to really reply? I'm good with words, too. I just, oh, I said, God bless you. Because after I came, I now have to follow. Your Savior is invitational, but what intrigues me about this text today is the one who's always inviting is now getting invited. Did you read it? It starts off with saying a certain person, his name is Simon, invites Jesus over to his house for a party. Here's how I know Jesus is better than me because he went to this party. He went to this house. He RSVP'd and he showed up. If it was me, I wouldn't even have RSVP'd. And if I did, it would have been a no-show. Charge me later. Because this is at the house of a Pharisee. Simon is a Pharisee, and can you believe it? He invites Jesus over to his house. Those of you who are proud Sunday school alumnus, you know what the Pharisees did. I mean, these are the people who caused Jesus the most trouble, the pretentious, pompous, arrogant, fastidious Pharisees that were always trying to argue with Jesus, always trying to debate Jesus. He's sitting up here healing people on the Sabbath, and they're like, are you sure this is the day to do that? As if there's a certain day somebody should get a breakthrough. The Pharisees were annoying. And that's who's throwing the party? Oh, no, I wouldn't have gone. Because just you let me know if you're a Pharisee and you're throwing a party, this is a whack party. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be. I never saw the Pharisees in the text smiling or having any kind of joy. I already know this party was terrible. Wasn't no music at this party if it was terrible music. Who wants to go to this party? Probably wasn't good food at the party. Who wants to go to this party thrown by the Pharisees, the ones who are judgmental, who ones who are always trying to see what they can find wrong with somebody else's life because it's easier to do that than to look at your own life. I'm not trying to go to that party. Please, you keep that part to yourself, but not our Savior. He goes. He got invited and says, yeah, I'll go. Look at the beauty of our God. I think so many times we articulate how Jesus comes to the broken and he comes to the ratchet. But can I tell you, he comes to the self-righteous too. Jesus does not just come to the ones who are so broken that they can't see past their brokenness. He also comes to the ones who are broken, but they think they're whole. 
This is why self-righteousness is one of the worst sins because it blinds you to yourself. And look at our Savior who always stands in the middle, who's reaching out to the outsiders and the insiders, the ones who think they are too far gone, the ones who think they are in but they are far gone. He is reaching to both. That's the power of the prodigal sons, not prodigal son, is that the father was the only one that was consistent in the story. This is our consistent God. Not only did that father run after that boy who came home after all that crazy living not only did he run after him and throw him the biggest party but how many know while the party was going on he still went to the older brother who thought that he could earn his relationship with the father through his good deeds through his good works he still reached out to him too said come on in and this is the beauty of our savior is that he reaches out to both so he says simon you a pharisee yeah i'll come to your house i know you ain't gonna have no good music but i'll go and he walks into the house. Can you see Jesus walking? He walks in the house. He walks all the way in. He was probably late too. I think he was. I would be late. Shoot, if I was the son of God, I'm going to be late everywhere. <laughs> You're late. I'm an on-time guy. What you talking about? <laughs> so he walks in. Walks in and you have to see it because he walks through the front door and he goes to the table. The Bible says that he was reclining at the table. When you see a table in biblical days, understand, they did not sit with their feet under a table. They actually reclined, just like this. They had little cushions where your feet would be up this way, and your hand would be like this, and there'd be a table around, and you would eat with this hand, and you'd just be right here all around the table. This is how Jesus was sitting, just eating, got your feet out, and you're chilling, and they're eating. It's also something else that's intriguing about this setting is that whenever they had a party like this, people who were invited to the table would sit around the table just like that. But they would actually keep the front door of the house open, keep it wide open, so that people walking by on the street would go, wait, that Jesus out here look familiar. Let me go ahead and come on in here. And people literally would come in from the street and they couldn't sit at the table because they weren't invited, but you had permission to enter the house and just stand along the edge of the house and you could just listen to the conversation at the table. You could just watch the people at the table. Isn't that awesome? Even if you weren't invited, you could just come in and watch other people at the table. I know that seems weird to our culture. It's so weird. Like who wants to sit and actually watch other people's lives all day? I know that seems weird to our culture because who wants to spend their time watching everybody else's life. I mean, it seems like you go to your house and eat. I know it seems weird. You know, their culture is different than ours. But they would actually just come in <laughs> and they just watch everybody else and they would hear their conversations and they would just listen even though they weren't invited to the table. And Simon invites Jesus. And I love that Simon invited Jesus. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know his motive. Maybe he had a pure heart. Maybe he's like Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee, but he came at night. Remember, maybe he was seeking him. Maybe he was seeking him. Eh, but I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious. I don't believe it. I'm suspicious of his invitation. I thought that maybe he's inviting Jesus because he loves him, but I know people. And I found that people ooh, will invite you and still not like you. Isn't that crazy? 
It blows my mind that somebody would invite you and not like you. Maybe it's blowing some of your mind right now because maybe you're in a situation where somebody's invited you into a space and then you're shocked that they were talking about you. Not everybody that invites you likes you. Some people will invite you to fight you. Some people will invite you to get intel on you so they can run to some other haters and talk about you. Be careful. Quit thinking that just because they invited you, they liked you. I don't understand it, but it happens. I understand how people come to a church and don't like it. I used to think only people would come to a church that they like, but I have found out since we planted a church, people will come to your church and sit in your church and be like, I don't like the worship. I don't like the preaching. I don't like the little silk shirt he got on. I don't like none of it. And you would think if they didn't like it, <laughs> they would go somewhere else. But Simon has proved positive that people will invite you and not even like you. It says, come on in, Jesus. You know when Jesus walked in, the room had to get silent. You ever walked into a room and you knew they were talking about you when you walked in? Jesus literally knew, but he walks in. And they sit down. And although Simon invited Jesus there, which was awesome, but he teaches us that it matters how you approach Jesus. His approach was completely off. Don't forget that Simon is a Pharisee which means he is astute in the law. He knows the first five books of the Old Testament by memory. So he is not inviting Jesus because he loves him or actually wants to know something about him. He has brought Jesus into his home to interrogate him. He's brought Jesus into his house because he thinks this is a courtroom scene. He is interrogating him. You know, in a courtroom scene, you have the plaintiff and you have the defendant. And it's funny because the plaintiff has something called burden of proof. That's what Simon is. He has this burden of proof. And he's invited Jesus, not as the savior of the world, but almost like Jesus is a defendant. And he's like, well, let's see. Prove to me that you're the son of the living God. I'm here to collect evidence to see if you're really the one. Prove it. Prove it. That's what Simon has brought Jesus for, for him to prove it. Never mind the fact that Jesus had nothing to prove. Never mind the fact that just the fact he was there on earth with human skin on, he had already fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies that came before him. Never mind he's the son of the living God. He's got nothing to prove. But in Simon's mind, I brought you here, not for the hummus, but you got to prove to me that you are who you say you are. I want to ask you, are you like Simon? Because I'm finding that Simon's heart can creep into all of us. Oh, especially if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. And even if you're a skeptic or you're critical to the things of God, if you're not careful, you will not approach him through the lens of love, but rather through the lens of the law and legalism. And you'll go, you have to prove to me that you are who you say you are. You'd be shocked at the people who are just like Simon and are calling on Jesus to prove it. Oh, you're a healer? Prove it. Let's see. Because I just got a doctor report. Let's see. Oh, you're a provider? We'll see. Prove it, because I just put out five job applications, and we'll see if you're a provider. You would be shocked at the people who approach Jesus saying, prove it. And whenever you approach this Savior with an attitude and a heart that says, prove it, you will never receive what you need to receive for him. This is not the posture of somebody that is truly seeking. You don't come to him having for him to prove it. But Simon was about to miss out on the greatest miracle that was in his house. Because he didn't want to get to know Jesus. He was trying to get Jesus to prove it. 
Some of y'all like, well, how do you know Simon was doing that? Prove it. Oh, I'll prove it. I'll prove it in the fact of how Jesus walked in the house. Remember, I just showed it to you. He walked in, came straight to the table, and sat down. That's what the text lets us know. It lets us know this later, that Simon did not even do the common courtesy that would have been done in that day, watch this, for any guest. In that culture, whenever you had a guest, I'm talking about this was common courtesy. This is like take your jacket at the front door. Whenever you had a guest, it was common courtesy. For as soon as that guest came to the door, they had a bowl of water, and the servant will call you close. Because understand, there are no Air Force Ones. There are no Yeezys. Sandals and dusty ground. So the first thing you did before you even came into the home was to take the water and wash the feet of the people who were going to come into your house. This was common courtesy for any person that came to your house. After you washed their feet properly, then you would dry their feet with a towel. Once that was finished, you would run up to them and you would kiss them on the cheek, man to man, woman to woman. That was that culture. Don't do it now. It's awkward. But in that culture, you would kiss them on the cheek, greeting them with a holy kiss. And then you would take just some olive oil or some perfume, nothing expensive, the cheap stuff that they hand out, the samplers. And you would just put it on their forehead so that the fragrance would go throughout the house. And this is what you would do just to say that the person was welcome here. And none of that happened for Jesus. Simon the one who fasted two times a week. Simon, the one who went to church all the time. Simon, the one who's got the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Simon, who's always looking at everybody else and how sinful they are. Simon did not know the common courtesy, common hospitality, just to welcome Jesus into the room. You would be shocked at how many people been to church their whole life and don't even know how to properly receive Jesus when he comes in the room. Oh, you would be shocked at the people, know all kinds of scripture, but don't know how to be kind, don't know how to be hospitable, just don't know how to say hello and take off those sunglasses inside. Don't know how to do that. Oh, it's a dangerous thing when you start treating holy things as common. And then you're shocked when you don't get a breakthrough. Then you're shocked when you don't hear from God. But is it possible that you haven't even treated him with the common respect and courtesy that you would give somebody else. Oh, I know ain't nobody gonna come back after this week. <laughs> I, I never forget, I went to see a comedian, actually two different comedians, I won't tell you their names because you'll say I'm not safe. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to grow my craft so I love anybody that has a microphone. And I was watching these two comedians and uh, I saw something, I saw something that I, I've never seen before. I was shocked, I was shocked at this uh, church service, if you will, uh, where this comedian, <laughs> was there because it blew my mind. It's, it's over a thousand people at this, at this show, over a thousand people at the show, and I noticed they took up an offering before everybody came in. Everybody had to give a, very, a substantial offering on Ticketmaster. They gave the offering, they sold their seed. You had to get in, you had to get in, and then nobody said, ah, oh, they wanted my money at this show. No, they, they, they were happy to pay it, happy to go to the bar, pay for that too. Um, and it was funny, it was funny to watch them. And, and then, I saw, I'd never seen this before, before they got to the door, they said, uh, we have a no cell phone policy. They had these little pouches, these little pouches 
Every person in there. They let them know, you will be kicked out if we see your phone out. Every person was given a pouch, and they had to put their phone in the pouch that locked all on everybody, and everybody had their phone in a pouch. You should have seen it. People didn't know what to do. They were in there looking at their person like, hey, they didn't have their security blanket. It was an amazing social experiment. But every single person had their phone locked in a pouch. And I'm sitting up there looking around. Nobody's complaining. People are happy. Homeboy was on stage for about an hour and a half. Nobody walked out early. And I'm sitting up there thinking to myself, ooh, what if at church? Can you imagine if before you came in here today, we're like, ah, oh, you got to give an offering today. What? Yeah, we're demanding it today. Everybody got it. Oh, no, that's not, that's not enough. Keep going. Can you imagine if we did that? Can you imagine if we took your cell phone today? So, yeah, we just want to make sure that you're fully focused on the word of God today. Yeah, put it in there to lock it up. Oh, the outrage. Y'all would be killing us on social media. Isn't it funny, though, how in the world that was okay, but we come in the house of God, something that has the power to change your soul, something that can truly change your life forever. We'll treat holy things common. I've seen people be more respectful in a movie theater with their cell phone than they are in church. And we wonder why I didn't really get nothing out of the message today. I bet you didn't. It's crazy how you'll treat holy things common. Simon couldn't even greet Jesus with common hospitality. Ooh, but thank God. Simon wasn't the only one in the room that day because there was a woman that walked in the room. The Bible calls her, in one text, an immoral woman. Another text, it calls her a sinful woman. But it's giving you blues clues to what's really going on. Make no doubt about it, this woman is a prostitute. Everybody would have known it. So how many know when she walks into that room that day, it doesn't get quiet, but they start whispering. Oh my God, can you see, what is she doing here? Can you imagine the stares, the looks, the whispers, huh? the text messages that went across the room? Some of you know what it's like to have a rumor about you being a room before you step in that room. To have somebody mess up your reputation that you would rather stay in isolation than to have to go into a room and deal with the whispers of what they said. This woman walks into this room knowing that everybody in that room knew her business. Everybody in that room knew what she did. I can only imagine the stares. You know, people will let you know what they think about you the way they look at you. Or the way they refuse to look at you and turn their head. Do you know what it costs this woman to walk in this room? Everybody sings the song about the alabaster box, but I think she paid a price way before she broke the alabaster box. Do you know what it cost her to walk in that room knowing they're going to talk about you, knowing they're going to whisper about you? What would make a prostitute walk into a room of men who were scowling at her, looking at her with shame? What would make 
curse not only walk in that room, but stay in that room. I'll tell you what made her stay in that room is what made her walk in that room. It was the words that came out of the mouth of this man named Jesus. She had spent her whole life and had never heard anybody speak like him. She had never heard words that were so dipped in truth and grace. She had never heard anybody talk like him. She had never seen anybody love like him. And I think in that room, the only thing that kept her in that room as they stared and as they whispered and as they snickered was the thing that brought her into the room. She just held on to the words that were coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And I want to speak to somebody right now who maybe people are talking about you and maybe you've got a bad reputation. Hold on to the words of Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't let them limit you by what they're saying you did. Hold on to who God says that you are the only thing that kept her in that room were the words coming out of his mouth what else would have kept her in there the only way she could focus was to fix her attention on what he was saying here's what blows my mind is that Simon is at the table she's up against the wall she wasn't even invited Simon is hearing the same words that this woman is hearing, but has a completely different reaction. Isn't that crazy that people could be in the same environment, but have a completely different response, s'il vous plaît? Completely different response in the same environment. This is what blows my mind about church. I traveled and preached for six years before we planted this church and it would blow my mind how Jesus could be in the room and you could have two people responding to Jesus completely differently. One person has tears coming down their face, mascara, Mary Kay, Mac, all jacked up, snot going everywhere and saying I'll never be the same again right next to somebody who looking at their watch, talking about I'm trying to get to the buffet, when is he going to fit? It is amazing to me. How you can be in the same room, hearing the same thing, but have a totally different response. Ooh, one of my preaching homies, Pastor Charlie Dates from uh, Chicago, he, he, says so, he says, ooh, something I love. He says, some church people are like kernels in the bag of popcorn. You know when you have movie night and you pop the bag of popcorn, isn't it crazy that no matter how long you pop that popcorn and you, you know, eating all that popcorn, there's always kernels left in the bottle. I don't care how well you popped it, there's always kernels in the bottle. And you want to think to yourself, how in the world could the kernels that were in the same bag experience the same heat, the same oil? How come you didn't pop and you still hard and still in church today? Some people sit in the same service, same presence, same spirit moving and just as hard as ever. But I wish I had some popcorn saints who said, all I need is an opportunity to get up on my feet and give God praise. Somebody just take 10 seconds and praise him like you're thankful. Oh, there's something about worship and praise that'll just cause you to pop. Woo! You'll be a colonel if you want. I'm going to pop. I'm going to pop off any chance I get. I know where I should be if it had not been for the grace of God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You can sit there if you want, and you won't get your breakthrough. But I know that God responds to people that worship him, to people that praise him. Simon is hearing the same words. 
And he's sitting up there, we'll see. Because he's going, prove it. And when you're looking through the lens of prove it, instead of the lens of love, it's funny because who Simon's name actually means listen. His name means listen. He was listening, but he wasn't listening. It's the difference between listening and hearing. It's so funny. Somebody sent me something this week, didn't even know what I was preaching. And they sent me something that showed a picture of two ears. And it was so interesting. I've never seen this before. They said, it's funny that if you put two ears next to each other, it makes the shape of a heart. Because there's a difference between listening with your ears and listening with your heart. And if you look at the word heart, ear is in the middle. Because if you want to know somebody's heart, this one in my notes, but if you're going on a date with somebody, don't let the appetizers fool you. Don't let what they got on for you. Don't look at the position in the protoplasm. Just listen. See if you listen, you will hear their heart. Simon was listening with his ears. This woman was listening with her heart. So no wonder she's hearing the same words Simon's hearing. The Bible says, don't forget, his feet are out. He's there. She had to be standing right here because as she began to weep, tears started hitting the dirty feet of Jesus. Feet that should have been washed when he came in the door in the first place. Oh, please do not read that she wept and think this is a few little crocodile tears. No, 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 no. That word weep is one of the same words the Bible uses when Elisha called for rain in the famine and it started flooding. This woman started having a breakdown in the presence of Jesus. Tears were, <laughs> tears are flooding her face. And I started thinking about the beauty of our Savior, who although there was not water to wash his feet at the door, there was water locked up in the wordless nameless woman, water locked up in her tear. Who knows how long she was holding on to the pain, just like some of you who've gone through so much. Who knows how long she was holding on to the pain of men objectifying her, using her just for a moment of pleasure, and all of a sudden something in the presence of Jesus just caused her eyes to flood with tears. Thing she got so lost in the moment as water's coming down, she didn't even realize that now the Savior's feet are covered in her tears. And without even thinking, she lets down her hair. Since they didn't offer her him a towel, she said, I'll just use what I got. And she starts letting down her hair to dry his feet. This is where we have to understand the culture. You want to talk about awkward? In that culture... A woman would never let down her hair in public. To let down your hair in public in that culture would be to expose yourself. To let down your hair was something so intimate that you would only do in the privacy of your home, in a bedroom. You understand that she was breaking all kinds of protocol. You understand that people would have even thought that day that she was making an advance towards Jesus. Do you understand the 
awkwardness of this moment. She was not supposed to do that, but she must have been so lost in worship that she did not care what they were saying about her. And that's actually the power of worship. Don't tell me you're worshiping if you still got time to look at people around you to see what they think about you. You haven't lost yourself in worship until you will lift up your hands and you don't care what anybody else thinks because they don't have the focus of your attention. But when you fix your eyes on this beautiful Savior and you worship from your heart, you don't care what anybody thinks about you. Oh, that's what David did when he danced with all of his might, danced out of his clothes one day. She didn't care about their whispers. She didn't care what they thought. She was so lost in worship. Because she wasn't listening with her ears. She wasn't listening like Simon saying, you got something to prove. She was listening to the words that were causing an eruption in her heart say my soul has been so tired I've been restless but I want to see if he, what he said is true that I can truly come to him if I'm weary that was the power of that awkward moment tears flooding her face trying his feet with her hair and because they offered not even the cheapest perfume she said, well, I'll take everything I have. A year's salary and breaks it and thought it not waste because she said he's worth it. It's the power of worship. It's not when you approach God with prove it. Show me. It's worship that says just that you would let me come into your presence. I know they were supposed to kiss your face and I don't even think I'm worthy to kiss your face so I'll kiss your feet and I'm willing to deal with the awkwardness and the whispers because I'm just so thankful that my heart has found a home, that I finally found grace, that I'm finally founding, finding a love that I couldn't find in the showers that I tried to take after I did what I did. There's just something about being right here with you. She's having a moment. And I hate to interrupt this moment, but come on, let's be honest. This is awkward can you imagine a prostitute is crying and kissing the feet of Jesus in the middle of a dinner party so imagine in that moment the servers stop serving nobody's moving the DJ stops playing and everybody is watching a woman of the night, <laughs> kissing his feet. And while the whole room is sitting in the awkward moment, Simon, the host of the party, Simon says to himself, look at this. Huh. Will you look at this in my house? Well, Jesus, if you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman is touching you right now. She's a sinner. That's what Simon said. No, for real, that's what Simon said. In the awkwardness, Simon said that. The whole room is quiet, and Simon says to himself, Look at this. Huh. Will you look at this? In my house. Well, Jesus, 
If you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman is touching you right now. She's a sinner. That's what, that's what Simon said. You know, I almost titled this message, Simon. Almost. But it didn't make the cut because he didn't say it. Really, when you get to the crib. He thought. He thought to himself, do it one time for the one time. Look at this. Huh. Will you look at this? In my house. Well, Jesus, if you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman is touching you right now. She's a sinner. That's what he thought. And Jesus responds not to his words. Simon is questioning the validity of him being a prophet because he said prophets should know the character of people and all while you questioning it he is literally hearing what you're thinking and responding not to what Simon said but to what Simon your God is bad to the bone go Simon huh I heard you in here yeah Simon I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher. It goes into story time. Said Simon, there was a moneylender who loaned money to two people. To one, he loaned five hundred thousand. Another one, fifty thousand. Neither one of them could pay it back. But he decided to forgive the dead. Simon, who do you think loved more? I suppose the one who was forgiven more. It's like, you're right, Simon. I mean, anytime Jesus tells a story, you gotta ask yourself, who are you talking about in the story? Who are the characters? Well, obviously, the money lender has to be Jesus. The one who's loaning the money has to be Jesus because is that not a proper title for our Savior? Yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is King of Kings. But he's also a loaner because you need to know that everything in your life is a loan from a gracious God. Oh, I thought I was going to get eight claps. I know you think it was your degree. I know you think it was your intellect. I know you think you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. But don't forget who gave you the power to get the boots. And don't forget who created the feet that you put the boots in. Everything in your life is a loan from a gracious God every good and perfect gift comes down from above you are not here by yourself you are not here by your own talent it's because God loaned the breath in your body is alone from God that's why the Bible says let everything that has breath praise don't you ever forget you don't own anything everything in your life is alone it is alone from a gracious Savior who just gave it to you. He just gave. How dare you be arrogant? How dare you be stuck? Well, I study. Who gave you the power to study? Who put the brain in you? How dare you think you are that? Well, I look good. Who gave you the looks? 
Come on, you was not in heaven talking about, I want them eyes. I'll take that nose. No, not that nose. Go back, Gabriel. This nose. <laughs> it's a gracious God. Just loaned it to you. So he's the loner. Obviously, this woman, because Jesus later says, oh, her sins are many. She's got to be the one that owes 500,000. Simon is the one that owes 50,000. Because after all, Simon is a Pharisee. And this parable has actually caused controversy because if Jesus says, he who's been forgiven much loves much, and he who's been forgiven little loves little, does that mean I need to go out next Friday night and turn all the way up? <laughs> Do something crazy so I can love much? But it's actually nothing to do with the amount. Don't get caught up in the amount in the story. It's not about the amount, just like it's never about the amount of sin. It is about the awareness. This woman didn't need any convincing that she was a sinner. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she wasn't worthy. She knew that she needed grace. She knew that she needed forgiveness. The problem with Simon was he didn't know. He thought he was good. He thought it was his performance. He thought it was his record. That's why I can always tell people that have a problem loving or worshiping. You just let me know that you don't know the depth of sin. You don't know what it cost him on the cross for all of us. Jesus did not give his life to make bad people good. He gave his life to cause dead people to come back to life. And that's what all of us were. We were dead in our sins. Sometimes the longer you've been in church, if you're not careful, you'll think, oh, he didn't need to reach me that much. So I'm going to give him a pinky worship today. There's nothing like a person like this woman whose worship comes out of the depth of her heart she hasn't forgotten she's forgiven how do you know if a Simon heart has crept into you and you don't have a heart like this woman are you critical are you judgmental of other people always trying to find what's wrong with somebody else that's a sign that maybe Simon's heart has crept into you have you lost your joy you're saying, yeah, yeah, whatever, you died on the cross, gave my sins, but uh, where's my spouse? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know, I know, I know, you, you love me, but uh, I need to raise. If you've lost your joy, if you're saying, God, yeah, I love you, you're good, but I need that, whatever's on that other side of that, that's your idol. I'm not saying you can't believe God for the best. We serve a good, good Father. But true worship comes from a heart that knows I have been forgiven from so much. He has been so good to me. God, let us always have the posture of this woman who's not sitting at the table arrogantly waiting for you to prove it as if you're the defendant on a stand, but rather at your feet heart full of gratitude and joy thankful that I have been forgiven from so much this is the proper way to RSVP to the Savior of the world and ask every person that can to stand to your feet I'm going to ask heads be bowed eyes be closed please 
don't leave unless it's just an emergency. Would you just honor and respect this moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. All our Savior has ever wanted is an RSVP. Would you respond? And don't respond like a Simon saying, God, you've got to prove it, but respond like this woman who was fully aware of the depth of her sin, but had a cataclysmic encounter with grace. It's interesting because in the story, the power is in the phrase that neither one of them could pay it. So let us all get off our high horse and never look down our nose towards anybody else. Whether you owe half a million or 50,000, if you don't have the money, you don't have it. Reminds us what Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the beauty is that the money lender forgave it. And you know that even if you've defaulted on a loan, I told a credit card company, I can't pay it. It doesn't just disappear. It just means they chose to eat it. They said, we'll take the loss. You're forgiven. This is what he did on the cross. The only way my sin and your sin can be forgiven is because the Savior of the world said, I'll eat it. I'll take it. This is the beauty of the gospel. So heads about, eyes are closed today. I'm wondering if there's anybody in here who maybe you feel like that woman. The enemy does real good in making you feel shame. Maybe you've had to walk into rooms like her where a reputation or a rumor has filled the room before you walked in. You need to know today that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, the Savior is still invitational. He says, come to me, all, all who are weary. All, all means all. Some of you have so many objections before you come to him. You're like, well, am I going to have to do this? And what about that? And what about the church? Just come to him. That's what she did. That was the power of that day. She could have made every excuse. They're going to talk about me. They're going to roll their eyes on me. So many people make you well, it's the church and all that. But sooner or later, you're just going to have to make a decision and say, I'm coming to him. And you will experience the same love and the same peace and the same forgiveness that she experienced that day. That's why she broke down. Because she felt the forgiveness in his presence. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.